0: been talking about grace this morning. We're going to continue to talk about amazing, messy grace, and we've been marching through the book of Ephesians, talking about this theme, and today we're in chapter 3. I'll have the scripture on the screen for you. It's in the New International Version, but we invite you to follow along as we read God's Word, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, he's been talking about this mystery For some time. And inside this mystery, there is embedded this idea that the stranger has come into the church, into faith in Christ. Through the work of Christ upon the cross, the stranger is invited in. I've been thinking about a stranger this week. I took my brother Joe and his wife Brenda and their son Ethan down to have coffee and beignets in the French quarter. And after we got done, we walked up there where you can overlook Jackson Square and walked over the levee, went down the steps, and crossed the railroad track to the moonwalk. And there along the Mississippi River, we were just chatting and looking, and I saw a volleyball stuck in the rocks about halfway down toward the river. And we all looked at it, and I said, that's got to be Wilson, They said, it can't be Wilson, it's not Wilson. I said, it must be Wilson. What other volleyball would be there? And they insisted it wasn't Wilson, so I had to check. All right? So I went down the rocks, scrambled down the rocks to the volleyball. And when I got there, I picked it up, and sure enough, bring that up here, Andy. Where are you, Andy? Bring it up here. I did not write on this. This has not been staged all right? It is Wilson. It said Wilson. It had Wilson on its face. See? I know what I'm talking about. Y'all listen to me, okay? Yes, and ever since that happened, and Kendra plays volleyball, don't you, Kendra? Okay, so here, Kendra. That's your volleyball, okay? Kendra's got Wilson now, She's the steward of Wilson. I thought about a stranger who fixed up that volleyball and left it in the rocks. Wonder who it was. Wasn't one of you, was it? I suppose I'll never meet that person who gave me this moment of delight, particularly when I realized it was Wilson, and my brother said it wasn't. See, that was a moment right there, you know, and. Uh, This whole passage is about strangers. We picked up this theme all the way back in chapter 2 and even in chapter 1. We began talking about people outside of the covenant of promise, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and without hope and without God in the world. The Apostle Paul was describing these people who were beyond the pale of the old covenant, and he says about these strangers that God has done this amazing thing in bringing them in. Now strangers sometimes make us anxious. People we don't know, people who don't maybe look like us or talk like us. Sometimes we get anxious about them and we wonder, you know, who they are and what they might be doing. We can't understand what they say. And so that's kind of how the Gentiles were to the Jews. The Apostle Paul communicates to these Gentiles, and the story of you in the book of Ephesians is about about Gentiles who are coming into the church of Jesus Christ. They are believing in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, as their Messiah, too. And the Apostle Paul, in order that we might know where he stands, introduces himself again in chapter 3 by saying he is Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he describes himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, I thought he was the prisoner of Rome, didn't you? Those are Roman shackles on his feet. That's a Roman guard by his side. So it's evident that he's a prisoner of Rome, and yet he describes himself here as a prisoner. Of Christ Jesus, and there he is confessing the sovereignty of God over his circumstances. God is sovereign over the apostles' circumstances, so even though Rome has arrested him and is going to try him and eventually execute him, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and he describes himself that way, and I invite you to do the same. So that whatever your circumstances, whether you like them or whether you don't, if they are unpleasant, if you wish they were otherwise, to describe yourself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ who has come to these circumstances under his auspices and care and protection. And the circumstances are not a surprise to the God who created you and made you and loves you and has turned you loose in the world for his purpose. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has captured my heart. He has captured my attitudes. He has captured my perspective. I am his prisoner. Now, there's a second dimension to the sovereign work of God in this introduction that he gives. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you and you and you. And all the Gentiles who are in the room, and I suppose it's almost all of us. All of you who are not the physical children of Abraham, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus for your sake, for you. Now, Paul always interpreted his conversion as a mighty act of God and intervention in his life. He was on his way to do something terrible to the church of Jesus Christ when God intervened, brought him to his knees, Spoke clearly to him. Why do you persecute me? Jesus said to him in that moment of transformation. And the apostle left that place blind. And Saul of Tarsus became Paul, the the apostle. Why? through a sovereign choice of God, by an act of God. And this is what he is saying to you and to all those Gentiles who have come to know Christ, really, through that initial witness that Paul carried to the first century Gentiles. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says, for your sake, for you. Now, the apostle confesses the sovereignty of God over his imprisonment and his assignment in the world. And you can do the same. You can say, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He has captured my heart for the sake of those who don't know yet his grace. Because we not only confess his sovereignty, but we convey his grace. The wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus has come to you. By definition, it has come to you without you earning it. Grace is unearned. It is undeserved. That's the nature of grace. Grace came to the Apostle Paul, and he said, God gave me this grace for you. So I want you to think about the grace God's given to you. And say in your heart, that grace is for others. It comes to me, but I am to pass it on to others. You are to be a conduit of the grace of God, a channel through which the grace travels. There'll be somebody somewhere in your life to whom you will minister the grace of God. And when they tell the story of your coming to them, they will say, God came to me and helped me out in my lowest moment. He sent a servant of his to give me comfort. The Apostle Paul actually does that in the New Testament when he describes how one of God's servants came to him in his hour of sickness and need. God comforted me, he says, through the coming of Titus. And God will do the same with you. He will extend his grace through you to others. Now, it's a mindset that you've got to keep in your life. That God's given me grace, and I don't deserve it. I get this grace from the natural world every day. I get oxygen, and food, and butterflies, and birds, and blue skies, and puffy white clouds. And the world is just full of delightful things all around me. I hope you're enjoying this grace of God that comes to you on a daily basis, but you're also experiencing the grace of being called by him into his family, of being adopted as a son or daughter into the family of God, not because of what you've done, not because you deserve it or earn it, not because you're a little bit better than other people, a cut above the rest. No, it's not it at all. God's extended his grace to you. It is freely given. He has saved you despite the fact that you are a sinner. And this marvelous grace will serve you well in every relationship that you have in life at work, at school. Some of you are about to go off to college. I hope that you will be ministers of the grace of God, that you'll let the grace of God go through you to those classmates and those roommates and those suite mates that you have. Because that's God's intention. The grace is given, not so it stops with you, but so you can pass it on. Let me tell you a secret. If the grace stops with you, the flow... Peter's down to a trickle, all right? You can't make grace a lake in your life. You've got to be content to let it be a river, okay? So you've got to let it flow through you to others. And if you'll do that, you'll experience God's grace. His mercies will be new every morning in that dorm, in that house, wherever you may be. His mercies will be new every morning because you know the grace is given to you to pass on to others, the conveying of God's grace. Now, Paul says, this truth that I was an instrument of God's grace to convey His grace to these other people who were outside of my nation, outside of my people, outside of my religion, outside of the covenants of promise. God showed me this by revelation and he uses the word revelation in this text it's the word apocalypsis it talks about what has been covered up that is now revealed and he says about this that for ages past in generations past people didn't understand this they didn't realize it but now in this generation god has revealed this truth It was true all along, but now it's being revealed. The apocalypse happens not at the end of time, but when the revelation comes. A revelation is by definition dependent on God. It's illustrated by Paul's conversion. God just breaks into his life. God talks to him and says, Look, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I mean, that is a revelation. He didn't ask for it. He didn't know it was coming. It just happened to him. Have you ever had a revelation happen to you? They do happen still. I was 16 years old, and I'd worked all summer to buy a bunch of plywood and 2 before so we could make a camper for our 61 GMC Chevrolet pickup. And when I got free of work, we went to work on that camper. We made it eight feet wide. It was right at the legal limit. If you slept on the side of that camper, you were above the pavement. Right? My father got tired. I was 16 years old, but I'd been driving for a few months. And he said, Dave, why don't you drive the pickup? And he went back and fell asleep in the back. So I was driving this pickup truck toward downtown Dallas. And I was 16 years old. And I had nine siblings. Yes, nine siblings. All right? My brothers and sisters in the back with my mom and dad. And as we're going along, all of a sudden, the motor cuts out on me. I know it's the engine. It sputters. It sounds like it's about to die. I'm thinking, what is happening to this truck? And I finally decided it must be running out of gas. So at the earliest exit that I could find, I swerved off the highway on that exit ramp that went uphill. And as I was going uphill, I tried to put on the brakes at the stop sign. And the brakes went right to the floor. I had no reaction to the brakes. Now, how does the engine connect to the brakes? The brakes should be working, even if the engine's got a problem. I was going slow enough that I swerved around and went across the overpass and parked in a filling station there. And we started putting gas in the truck. And somebody said, well, this, this truck doesn't need gas. And after that stop, it worked fine. didn't sputter anymore. No problem with the engine. My dad got down on the pavement at the left back tire and discovered that the brake line was broken and the fluid was just pouring out. We had no brakes. And I thought to myself, okay, if I hadn't stopped, I was headed to downtown Dallas And 48 years ago, there were stoplights down there. I was headed toward traffic lights with 11 people in that pickup truck. And I pulled off because the engine had a problem, but it really didn't. It was my brakes that didn't work. You know what the revelation was to me? God always watches over me. (laughs) God's watching over me. Sometimes I would drive too fast. And Dad would say, if you turn too fast or you drive too fast, you're going to blow that angel off the hood. And, you know, he might have been right. But I felt from that time forward, I felt, you know, God is with us. And God does things that we can't do. If I ask for testimonies right now from people who feel like God did something that nobody could explain, but it really helped them out, I know there'd be testimonies all over this room. You've just, God broke into your life and you woke up and said, What? You weren't looking for that truth. You weren't searching for it. You didn't do anything to find it. And all of a sudden, God is teaching you that He cares about you and He loves you. That is a revelation. Peter had a revelation. He was on the roof in Joppa, a city by the sea, by the Mediterranean Sea. And in a vision, a sheet came down from heaven full of all these different creatures. And God said, take and eat. And he said, I've never d- eaten anything common or unclean. And God said, what I've made, don't you call common or unclean. It happened three times. And then the Spirit said, Peter, there are a couple guys at the door who want you to go with them. Two guys at the door. What are you doing here? Well, our master sent you. He had a dream last night. He said to find you here at the house of Simon the Tanner. He wants to hear from you. And they're waiting at his house. Simon goes with him. When he gets there, Cornelius says, yes, an angel came to me and said, there's a man in Joppa at the home of Simon the Tanner. He has something to tell you. Send for him. And so Cornelius Cornelius says, here we all are. What do you have to say? Peter tells that story over and over again because it was the revelation to him as a Jew that God intended to save Gentiles, too. It's part of the story of you. You are included because God sent this revelation to this key man in the early church, and he understood. It was September 28, 1928, when Dr. Alexander Fleming came back to his lab, which was a mess, he wrote. And as he went to the counter where they had the Petri dishes, he discovered that those dishes that had been set out there and nobody had taken care of had mold all over them. And when he slid them under the microscope, he realized that the mold was killing the bacteria. You say, big deal. Yeah, big deal. When I was a boy, I stepped on a nail. A line started coming up my leg. When I went in to see the doctor, he said, if if this had been 30 years ago, you might have died from this infection. But we now have penicillin. Because Dr. Fleming discovered mold on his Petri dish. It changed the way we do medicine in the world And saved millions of lives. Now some people will say it's accidental. It's just a coincidence. But it was a revelation to Fleming. God intervenes in all kind of ways. To make sure we get the message. Of his grace. Believe the revelation. That's what I'm saying. Believe the revelation that God gives. Okay. Because to hear this mystery requires revelation we don't come by this on our own we don't come by it by accident paul says that he now understands this mystery that was hidden not but from a few people but from generations of people. It was embedded there in the old promise, in the old covenant. But the people of God never saw it. They never understood it. It was waiting to be revealed when Jesus came. And the mystery is this. God includes the strangers the Gentiles, who are everybody else in the world except for the physical children of Abraham who are Jews, that all the Gentiles are included also in the wonderful grace of God extended through the Messiah, Jesus. This is the mystery that is made known only by revelation, consider the apostle. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's at the top of his religious group. And that religious group is an exclusive group in Israel who feel like they have really got the true religion down. And Israel itself feels like the chosen people. And everybody else is ignorant and without God and without hope. And they're just Gentiles. And they have set themselves apart as the chosen people of God. And now God must break into the life of Paul and Peter and these other Jews and help them understand that the good news of Jesus Christ goes beyond them, that it is for Gentiles also. A peculiar thing happens to us as we make our way around in the world from the time we are little. We get wake up to ourselves, we discover our hands. I remember when my daughter Rachel She was four or five months old, and she just kept waving those hands. She discovered those were her hands, and it was her hands with which she touched the world. And she saw the world through her eyes, and she heard the world through her ears. And like every other little child, she developed in life thinking she was the center of the world. I'm the middle, and everything in the world happens around me and to me. And this is life. This is me in the middle and me in the center. And we talk about pride and arrogance in the human heart and the desire to be first and to prevail. And all of that is endemic to the human condition. We really think we are first. We do experience the world as if we are the center. And we think that of all the folks in our group, we have the most wisdom and understanding about the world because we're the middle of it. And if you'll just let me run things, everything will be great. If I was just the person in charge, it would go so smoothly because I know how to do this stuff. And we elevate ourselves in our hearts and truly believe these things that we say, that we are we are the middle, we are the best, and we are part of the people who are the best, the supreme ones, the highest ones, the best ones. And if all all the world would do it just like we do it, then everybody would have a great experience in the world. And the revelation is this. God breaks into our life to help us understand that, hey, I love you. I love you passionately. And I love the people next to you, and I love the people next to them. And I love the folks that are part of your associates and all the way out to your businesses and your school. I love them all. And beyond that, I love the folks across the border just as much as I love you. They are the Gentiles called into the covenant that Jesus prepared on the cross. And folks across the water and the way from China to Korea to Peru, all these folks are equally loved by the God who made us and cares for us. They are equally to be part of the covenant. If we will take the grace to them, they will respond. And the amazing thing is that as the gospel of Jesus Christ went to the ends of the earth, people everywhere on the planet responded to the grace of God, and the church found fertile soil all over the place. Why? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves all the people of the world just like He loves you. Now, you are looking at a prisoner of Christ Jesus, okay? As much as my heart will allow, I am a prisoner of a Middle Eastern Jew, who did not look like me, or travel like me, or dress like me. He was not educated like me. He was very different from me. But I am his prisoner. And I have received his grace for your sake. You see? And you too are a prisoner of Christ Jesus and captive in Christ Jesus. We cannot say, my race is supreme i mean i can't march for a white supremacy movement i don't know that anybody would have called jesus my lord for whom i'm a prisoner white it's the condition of the human heart that we think our race our tribe our nation our people our family we're just the best and God has to break us loose from this idolatry of self and help us understand that everybody in the world is important to him and the subject of his love. And see, you got to get this by revelation because caught in your own natural tendencies, you gravitate to people like you. It's a gravitation. It's a gravity that pulls you to just people. That we all pool at the levels okay that's just how it works and it takes actually an inbreaking of God into your life to realize it may work that way in the world but it doesn't work that way in the church it doesn't work that way for people who call themselves believers because there's a stranger near you his native language is not English and he looks different than you are but God gave you grace so you could give it to him See, he needs the grace just like you needed the grace. You say, well, I don't see the world that way. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't see the world like the preacher sees the world. Look, I'm trying to help you see how the Word of God says the world is. How Paul saw the world. How Jesus saw the world. And when Jesus spoke favorably of a Gentile who received a miracle from God because the Jews were unbelieving. The Jews wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. And they tried to do so. This idea, this idea I'm talking about, comes by revelation as God breaks into our hearts and he says, look you are here so the nations of the world may receive my grace that's why i gave my grace to you as the conduit of god's grace i cannot turn away from any person whatever color or creed or tongue for they too must hear of the grace of god made known in jesus christ and if they hear they are likely to respond. This is the mystery that for generations people never got now revealed. How? Through Christ. Where? In his church. And So the church of Jesus Christ goes past all human boundaries to encompass the planet on this very day. And when you get to heaven, you will see the myriads of tribes and nations and tongues brought to the Savior as people like you extended the grace given to them to others. This comes by revelation. God has to break in. Maybe He's doing that in your heart. God may be revealing to you the condition inside of you. There may be hatred, anger, and bitterness that is there from some misconception that you were supposed to be first, and you got mistreated or left out. Your salvation and all that God's doing in your life, it's not about you, it's about Him. You are not the center of the world, God is. And God has called you into his presence, not so you will be the center of the world, but so you will make him the center of your world. And when he is the center, the world is transformed. And you confess, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you. Thank you, God. Bow with me, please. as we just bow our heads and let the Spirit of God do His work in us. Maybe, maybe God's speaking to you, calling you to Himself. I'm sure there are some who hear that call. Sometimes we hear the voice of God and we say no. We reject it. Wouldn't it be great to just open your heart to what God is speaking? Let Him speak and listen. He's the one who made you and loves you. Lord, we pray today for that person who just needs to know you. Life's gotten all twisted up. God, I pray that you'll break through all our defenses to the very center of who we are, that we might respond to you, to your forgiveness and your grace, your love for us. Lord, I pray for that person who came to this room not knowing if anybody loves them that they'll leave knowing that there's a God in heaven who loves them. Lord, I pray for that one who feels like they missed their calling. That, God, you will do your work in their heart. To help them understand their calling of grace in you. And, Lord, I pray that you will deploy us from this place. To pass on the grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.